0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the podcast. It's been a while since you have heard from us. I am currently in the midst of residency and you guys know how it can get. So we haven't been putting out too much content and we still have a full season pending that is ready for release, but is on hold for now. But what my team and I have discussed recently is that we will be putting out content Surrounding the COVID-19 and the coronavirus, and I thought what we could do is bring on experts and put up some unedited content that is just ready, readily available. I'm going to try and put. The, we're going to try and put the, all this content out same or next day, uh, so it's just going to be very raw and unedited. Uh, today's expert is Dr. Daniel Kala. He's an emergency medicine physician. He is also a novelist. He wrote the book Pandemic. In 2005, after the SARS outbreak in 2003, and there are a lot of eerie similarities from what he wrote in the book and what is happening today. And I thought he would be a great guest to have on the podcast. And uh, he he um, shares some insightful kind of information today, and it was just really fun to talk with him. And I know fun is not a great word to use in these unprecedented times, but at least uh, gave me a little bit of insight as to, you know, how this has played out in history before. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you guys to Daniel Kava, MD.
1: Yeah, fair enough. For me. I mean, right now I'm, um, I work in Vancouver at one of the big teaching hospitals in downtown. I'm uh, the department head there. Uh, so I'm <clears throat> intimately far more involved than I'd ever like to be in COVID planning and uh, COVID response. Uh, you know, <clears throat> and so in, in a bizarre way, it's like stepping into one of the novels I've written because uh, there's a lot of parallels. And so, you know, I, I've, I've always, I have this kind of dichotomous career where I'm also a writer and I apply some, usually uh, apply the learnings and knowledge I get from medicine to writing, but now it's actually happening in reverse. A lot of the research that I did is, is going back in. And, and to give you background of how I got involved in pandemics, per se, is in 2003 I was involved in the SARS planning. That We had a handful of cases in Vancouver. We were very terrified about it. It never amounted to more than a tempest in a teapot. But at one of the meetings I was sitting there and a world map was put up and all the hotspots across the planet appeared of where SARS was. And they were so asymmetrical, so spread out from Paris to Singapore to Toronto. And I turned to somebody and I said, well, what if this isn't random? What if somebody's spreading this virus deliberately? And sort of that led to the thriller idea for Pandemic, um, which story, tells the story of a fictional SARS-like virus, COVID-like virus that starts in China, as most of them do, as you know, um, because of some of the farming practices and and, and there. Um, and spreads globally, and uh, some terrorists decide to use human suicide bombers to spread it. But when I started researching um, the subject, I just became somewhat obsessed with pandemics because it became clear to me that there would be more pandemics, there would be another great outbreak from the Black Death to the Spanish flu. Um, You know, we've seen some horrendous ones. And I think there's a lot of parallels now with this, what's going on, particularly with the Spanish flu, and that, that really interested me.
0: Wow. And and you also mentioned briefly your book, Uh, We All Fall Down, and how that even more so relates to what we're seeing today.
1: Yeah, well, ironically, So We All Fall Down tells the story of of the Black Death recurring in modern-day Genoa in Italy. Uh, Genoa was a big hotspot for the Black Death and one of the first places it started in Europe. And the Black Death is the biggest medical or natural disaster to ever hit mankind. It wiped out half of Europe. It took 500 years for Europe to reach the same population level as before 1347, Mm -hmm. those three years of the Black Death. And, you know, there's some parallels. And so I envision, you know, fictionally, uh, that there's this uh, crumbling uh, monastery that uh, is sort of corruptly redeveloped. and, Mm -hmm. And obviously, there's some bad intentions behind it, but the Black Death, the original bubonic plague that was the Black Death leaks out and starts spreading. Mm-hmm. and I draw parallels and you know there's a subplot where that tells the historical story of the back Black Death through the diary of a, a brave barber surgeon who lived through it and the story goes back and forth between contemporary times and and uh, historical times to learn, you know, and the modern day heroes find some important information and vital details from that diary that helps them sort out what's going on today. But Mm. it's, it's very coincidental and eerily ironic that, that, you know, I chose Italy, which is obviously, arguably the worst hit place in the world uh, by COVID.
0: Mm. And so I take it that you, I mean, you've, clearly found a great interest in kind of, you know, the infectious disease and spread around the world and pandemic specifically. Um, was it the experience you had in 2003 that sparked that kind of curiosity and interest to start writing about all of this?
1: Sure. You know, because I, I'd been practicing medicine for eight or nine years up until that point. And I would never felt I mean, I lived through the HIV era, which was scary, but I'd never felt that sense of you know, collective terror where we're worried about our family than when SARS came along. You know, I had colleagues in Toronto who were dying of SARS. We, there were a few doctors and nurses. And so there's just that sense of vulnerability. And that sort of interested me in, in you know, pandemics and the, it, not just their, their medical effect, but the sociological impact that they have. And so I just, you know, be, began researching and it became clear to me that, of course, there's going to be more of these things and, uh, you know, and it just amazes me, having lived through SARS and then H one N one and then Ebola, which was a threat that never really materialized in North America, and the terror of the general public through all of them, uh what equally amazes me is how quickly people become complacent as soon as these things pass. I mean I don't I don't think that'll ever I think COVID is a game changer. I don't yeah. think that will ever happen again but it just amazed me how fearful people are in the moment and a few weeks later it's like oh that's yesterday's news
0: yeah and you know i I, i've had a similar realization of just how short-sighted we are in terms of you know our planning and our efforts we don't you know you know, from all of our policy making, we don't think, you know, far ahead in the future. We're very just, you know, as a country and globally, we're very short-sighted in our planning and in our in our efforts, whether that be for, you know, this pandemic, whether it, whether it be about, you know, global warming, you know, we're getting all of these. We've been having experts tell us, you know, this is coming, this is coming, this is yeah, not a matter exactly. of if, this is a matter of when. And, you know, experts sounding the alarm, but still... You know, we, we get a lot of views, we get a lot of hype around it, and then we just go about our days and nothing ends up happening.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great point, Rami. It's also partly human nature, right? We We often, you know, can can rationally understand something, but it doesn't emotionally impact till it's till right it's in here. Front of our, till it's here. And so, but that's a bit, so that's fine for the public not to respond. It's almost unforgivable that world governments and, and world organizations weren't a bit more prepared for this than we are. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk politics. You have mm-hmm. distinct US politics there mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get into them or, 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 or ours <laughs> and even in Canada. I'm, I'm not saying our response has been that much better. But it's, but as you said, as this wasn't just, you know, this wasn't just predictable. It's a certainty that, uh, that it was going to come at some point and we should have been better prepared.
0: <clears throat> now, is this something you've kind of been, uh, preparing for? I mean, having written these books, maybe it's been at the forefront of your mind a little bit more than the average person.
1: Yeah, to a degree, not really. I'm guilty of complacency myself about this to a degree, um, but, uh, you know, I think I woke up very quickly when I started to hear the news in Wuhan and mm-hmm. in, in, in China, how quickly it was spreading, how devastating it was being. I, I've mm-hmm. been, you know, I don't want to call myself an alarmist or chicken little, but I've been worried about this. Mm-hmm. I was also very worried that we were slow locally to sort of sh- to to go to the shelter in place Mm -hmm. system to not to not shut society down um Mm -hmm. i think we've been kind of lucky so far in vancouver and that that our cases have been manageable and the spread has been manageable so far but you know we saw seattle which is just 100 miles to the south of where Mm -hmm. i live and, and how quickly it consumed the city and it's now heartbreaking to watch new york um facing yeah what they are facing
0: and when you saw the news like back in january in wuhan what was going through your mind? Because I know for me, um, I think I wasn't, I think a lot of us weren't taking it as serious as we are now, Uh, maybe not until like the end of February. Um, And we were kind of like, oh, this is just, you know, like a little bit of a, it's like the flu, you know, it's a little bit more transmissible, a little bit higher mortality rate, doesn't seem like anything that's too alarming. But what was going through your mind when you were kind of uh, seeing all what was happening in Wuhan?
1: Yeah, I'll answer that in a sec, Rami, but I wanna make a point and I and I know you didn't mean it because I know you don't believe it, it's like the flu, but it, it yeah. staggers me that people are still comparing this thing to the flu. The flu does not collapse healthcare system. The Mm -hmm. flu doesn't kill healthy colleagues of yours and mine, nurses Mm -hmm. and physicians. This is nothing like the flu. And and so I I, it's such a toxic, malignant comparison. Because it gives people a sense that and and they just have to understand that, you know. Yeah. And Um, my point my point
0: my point in saying that was that like this is kind of the, you know, when it's that far away and you're that far removed from it yeah. and we're not used, you know, in my lifetime, I've never seen anything, you know, reach the kind of the severity that it's, it's reached now. And, you know, I'm working in the hospital and my friends are all in, Residency, and they're telling us about that patients they're intubating, and you know, like when it's right yeah. there in front of you, you're like, Whoa, yeah. this is this is for real, this isn't a joke. And I think maybe for like my generation, younger guys, yeah, uh, like I you know I'm 29 and all of us, we've never seen anything devastating. We yeah. haven't seen a huge, I mean, maybe in, the most devastating thing we've seen is the 2008 economic collapse and then 2000, yeah. um you know, 911 as well. Uh, but yeah. you know, it's not, yeah,
1: but but. But, but Rami, like nobody who is alive today has seen anything like this. Yeah. If you were a hundred and three years old, you were a baby during the Spanish flu. Nobody has lived through this. It's, yeah. This is a once in a century experience. So there is no comparison. Yeah. In terms of, I was scared when I saw the reports from China. You know, I because of because of the description, because of the speed of the spread, because of the. You know, we saw we were getting some reports in the emergency and critical care literature from Chinese colleagues about what they were seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was scared then, it, but it wasn't until I started to hearing about what was going on in Italy that I was genuinely terrified. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I saw some of those uh, now that most of us have seen, but some of the correspondence and on Twitter and some of the podcasts and stuff with Italian doctors, it was like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. this is the worst thing that's happened yeah. to the planet in 50, 100 years. So.
0: Yeah. And it's those, those firsthand accounts that are really scary, you know, when you start hearing from the medical providers, because, you know, at least for us medical providers, we know that when another provider is kind of telling us something, we can take it with with some certainty and not minimizing it because you know they you know we can relate to their day-to-day experiences and you know if they're telling us you know this is what's happening this is serious um i think that adds a little bit uh you know makes us really really uh you know be on our toes yeah what i agree what what similarities have you seen um from writing your book and kind of you know making the whole, you know, like formulating the whole process of what uh, a pandemic starting in China would have looked like, like how are, what are the similarities from what you've written and what you're seeing now? Um, you know, uh,
1: I think, <coughs> I think, hmm, I, I mean, I think, I think the rapidity of spread is so something that I foresaw both in pandemic and especially in We All Fall Down. Um, and it's all based on those two historical examples of the Black Death and the Spanish flu. Uh, it it It's just incredible. They're like brush fires, you know, these contagious pathogens once they take off. And, you know, what's really interesting about both those two cataclysmic pandemics is that, you know, and... The Black Death happened between 1347 and 1350. There was practically no travel. I mean, some seafaring traders and stuff. And yet it still spread from Sicily to Norway and Russia in three years. And mm-hmm. the Spanish flu, same thing. There was no commercial travel. I mean, World War I was ending, so people were coming back from the war. Soldiers were coming back from the war. But it still spread from Tahiti to Alaska in, in a matter of months. These things are brush fires once they take off. So I think I, I, I saw that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that that really interests me, particularly about the Black Death, and and to a Spanish-falutin degree, is is how society changes. You you know, um, the Black Death in particular had so many lessons about... Uh, you know, you see the best and the worst of people. And I'm seeing that now. But, you know, Mm -hmm. historically, the Black Death, there were the genocides of Jews, they blamed Jews by the tens of thousands and burned them at the stakes. Mm -hmm. There were the crazy flagellants who went around whipping themselves into a frenzy, all this bizarre stuff. But there are all these acts of incredible courage and and altruism that was going on people would walk into the arms of certain death to look after you even doctors at the time doctors who could do practically nothing anyway Mm -hmm. but they still you know basically um forsake their lives to help what patients they could and and tons of people did that and same with the spanish flu there are equal examples of bravery and stuff and i'm seeing that now you know i'm seeing stupidity like the hoarding of toilet paper and, right. and 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 you know people in florida partying at beaches you know which yeah. is just the height of irresponsibility mm-hmm. and then and then you hear these incredible stories of and, and in my hospital in particular nobody's walking away from this the example i use is it's like people instead of running away from the burning building they're running toward it all my my staff are you know what can we do how can we be involved nobody is nobody is calling in sick nobody is avoiding work there's this kind of you know collective uh, unity. really decency and unity yeah mm-hmm. and, and goodness you know mm-hmm. I'm seeing the best side of people and in a way you know I, I this thing makes me hopeful that that maybe some of the kind of petty materialism and 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 and, and trivial stuff that we've been so that, you know, I'm, myself as much as anybody, have been consumed with over the years. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll learn from this and see that uh, you know there are more important things in life, and 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 as a community we have to come together. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I, I, I'm seeing some the parallels of the good and bad I wrote about. I'm seeing it in, in real life now.
0: Mm-hmm. What were some of the bad things that you wrote about? Not to be a grim reaper here, but what were some of the <laughs> bad? What were some of the bad uh, that you wrote about and? in your books
1: well yeah i mean obviously pandemic had some significant villains in the terrorists who were mm-hmm. spreading this infection mm-hmm. but but i also wrote about hoarding i also wrote about you know people trying to get preferential medical care over other people i you know i i, I wrote about scapegoating a lot mm-hmm. you know and 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 you know we all fall down was, was a particular chance for me to write about that because I gave you the example that Jews were scapegoated and stuff. And and Mm. in the modern day, or sorry, in my, albeit fictional, but in in my contemporary story, I kind of envisioned that, that, that there would be a kind of uh, Islamophobia, like, you know, Mm. people would be blaming uh, refugees and and stuff for Mm. the spread of this. And, and just trying to parallel that, you know, people want to blame, people like to have a scapegoat, people, mm-hmm. people, you know, there's a lot of anger and fear and that mm-hmm. always can bring out those kind of elements. So yeah. I talk about a lot of those things.
0: Yeah. And I think we're even noticing that, you know, against, you know, some of that, uh, you know, that racism coming towards yeah, uh, absolutely. towards Chinese, uh, the Chinese yeah. community, uh, you know, from even from words our president has says calling this, you know, the Chinese virus or um, i know that's it, that's yeah.
1: so that's so awful that's so inflammatory and yeah. so unnecessary mean viruses can happen you know it, it i mean as i said there are some reasons why china is a hotbed for this because of some farming practices and and food practices that mm-hmm. you know the the market the open markets and stuff that i understand the chinese government's on working mm-hmm. on but not but people don't give china enough credit for give for buying us time they they mm-hmm. they responded Incredibly well. I mean, the model that their response, although a bit draconian, mm-hmm. is an incredible model for containing uh, containing a virus. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's crazy to associate this with a
0: yeah.
1: a race or a place. It's a virus. It's got Absolutely. nothing to do with a uh, you know, race.
0: Yeah. yeah what can we What can we learn from you know the good and the bad of how this virus has been handled in different parts of the country, say in like Italy and and China.
1: Well, some of the lessons are too late that we've learned is complacency. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting, Rami, I don't know if you noticed, but there's never the world's arguably never faced such a global natural catastrophe before, and yet mm-hmm. never have we been in so control as the average person, average lay person, of controlling this. Right? Mm-hmm. We are. You know, the answer isn't through medicine or science. The the answer is is social distancing. It's isolating ourselves. It's it's starving the virus. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's incredible that that we have this weird. You know. Paradoxical control over this catastrophe. You don't have control over an earthquake or a tidal wave, but this is something we, every one of us, can do something about. Mm -hmm. So I I I think that's a very important lesson.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And kind of like in a speculative sense, say this had happened, the same virus had happened, you know, 50 years ago before we had all this social media and technology and news, or maybe even before that, let's say 100 years ago, closer to the time. Of the spanish flu would this be more devastating or less devastating um in terms of its uh you know spread and lethality
1: yeah i mean you, you know as I mean, you must see as a doctor it's a mm-hmm. little embarrassing how helpless we are to offer proper uh, you mm-hmm. know there's lots of spike speculative treatments there's a vaccine that 18 months away but we've really been caught unaware and we don't have a great treatment we have ventilators now which mm-hmm. they didn't 100 years ago So we have that huge advantage. But it really is, I feel, I don't know about you, but a certain sense of helplessness that we don't have better medicine, better things to do. Mm -hmm. So... In some senses, it's it's very li- it's little different than what would have happened a hundred years. I think we'll control it better. I think we have better public health and, and social media will help and people will eventually get the message mm-hmm. about the di- the distancing and stuff. But on the other hand, we're a much more populated planet. We're four times as populated as we were a hundred years ago. So, you know, that gives a lot more uh a lot more food for the virus to feed off of. So that's the thing that concerns me when this virus gets into the third world, they won't be able to do the measures that we can do, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think it's going to be devastating when it gets to Africa in a substantial way. And, you know, places in South America and Asia and stuff that, that don't have the medical systems we have. Mm -hmm. So in a way I'm kind of about you, but I'm kind of surprised how, how little we have been able to do, you know, and, who would have thought a country like Italy especially an area like Italy that has one of the you know most advanced best medical systems in the world they are ten percent mortality rate amongst their victims and they're you know literally dying by the thousands over there
0: and do you think that's a product of us you know because the mortality rate com- uh, compared to the number of confirmed cases is pretty alarming for Italy do you think that's because we just don't know the true number of infected individuals, or is that more a product because, like, there is some estimates um, from experts coming that you know it, we're at four x the confirmed number of cases, all the way up to maybe like forty x the number yeah. of confirmed cases. That is like the actual number of people with with the virus, um, which would which which gives yeah. us a huge range of uh, variability in terms of the actual yeah. mortality mortality rate.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's a great question. We don't know. I don't think we'll know for a year what the actual mortality rate is. And in a way, though, I don't think it matters, right? Mm -hmm. What to me matters is the absolute number of people that died. And, you know, you're right. Maybe Italy is 10 times as infected as we know. But the reason so many people are dying in Italy, even compared to Germany or other other countries that, that have a similar load, is there is because They do rather than flatten the curve, they inadvertently, by not responding for so so long, sharpen the curve Mm -hmm. and the medical system collapsed. I mean, that's not collapsed, but it's fully overwhelmed. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when death happens on mass, when you overwhelm the medical system Mm -hmm. and the decisions those doctors have to make in in Italy right now and in Spain of who gets to live, who gets to die, who gets a ventilator. I mean, it's just it's incomprehensible to me that in 2020 we're having to make those decisions.
0: Yeah. And it's just terrifying to see that they're having to make those decisions daily. Um, and it's also kind of scary to see that, you know, these numbers are just going up and up and up. And uh, I don't know, like, from China's, from what we've, we've from the numbers we have from China, it seems like things are leveling off. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if that's something that we're 100% sure on or if they're just not reporting anymore. Um
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know I, I honestly I honestly believe they are reporting. I think they're being pretty transparent. I think mm-hmm. it's totally leveled off it's totally leveled off I mean not fully, but South Korea is largely leveled off mm-hmm. Hong Kong Singapore there are some places that are over we don 't know that once they they loosen all the all the social protocols and isolation and quarantine it it, it won't come back mm-hmm. the peak in the fall was much worse worse than the peak of brings you know if that's going to happen with this virus i mean there's so many unknowns mm-hmm. but you know if there are some places under control and will i get it under control so i'm not i'm not all, all, all i do worry though like you talked about i i worry about all these doctors and stuff who have faced hell i mean you know can you imagine how many of our colleagues who do survive are going to go through post-traumatic stress disorder who are going to be faced with nightmares for the rest of their lives. I mean, yeah. making Sophie's choice-like decisions for the, their patients—that's that's that—that's yeah. a heavy cross to bear, you know.
0: Yeah, and I th- and I think there's, you know, consequences from this, from all of this that are going to have a long-lasting. Um, I don't think this will be over just when it's over. I think that we're going to still be dealing with some of the consequences yeah. Yeah. long, long after this is over. Um, what, how are yeah, you guys handling this I over in Vancouver?
1: Uh, you know, I, as I said, we have, uh, I can't remember what the exact number of cases are right now, um, but it doesn't matter because like most places, we're not testing widely enough to actually know what our load is because mm-hmm. we're only testing our admitted patients and patients in our long-term care home. But in Vancouver, in, in, in right now we have about 26. 20, what do I hear? I think we have about thirty-five ventilated patients in the Greater Vancouver area with mm-hmm. COVID. Um, but that might be actually be for our whole province. Mm-hmm. And the number, the number hasn't been growing that steadily. We've had about fifteen or twenty patients come off the ventilators, oh, get wow, better. That's that's so amazing. right now, yeah. our right now our capacity is pretty good. And at our local hospital, like my hospital, Saint Paul's, we've done so much, so much. We've never had such an empty hospital. Our emergency visits are down way. We're terrified urgent and uh so we have this capacity because we keep expecting um to be you know overrun soon so mm. you know i would say and god knows if we talk again sunday that might change but right now we're in pretty good shape
0: that's great um how are you are you kind of trying are, are, how is your writing in in terms of you know, and your research on pandemics. Uh, how has this kind of like helped you in dealing with some of this?
1: Uh, it's helped me a lot because I think it's given me uh, an interesting perspective. I feel like I understand the history of pandemics fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've just having imagined what could happen is helpful. Um, it, 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 you know, I, it, it sort of calms me in, in a weird way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm by no means an expert. How does it, how, how does
0: it calm you? Like, what about it is calming? Well, all my
1: books have happy endings. Okay. Right? So, <laughs> um, so I'm kind of hoping for one here, but yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm, I, I have this confidence that, you know, and, and I, and I, and I look for, you know, it's important for me to look for hopeful signs. And there are a few, I even heard this morning in New York that the new, the the rate of the hospital admissions, is has slightly slowed their doubling rate mm-hmm. of hospital admissions has decreased over the last four or five days which mm-hmm. is to me a very good sign yeah and so you know i i try to read the tea leaves and and keep things in perspective
0: mm. um how does this how does this play out in the future i mean does every i mean from what from the rate that this is growing it seems like everyone at some point is going to become infected or you know be in contact with someone who's been infected but <laughs> but does it does it you know, like I know our main goal is just to flatten this curve out at this point yeah. to make sure that we can, you know, get people treated. But it doesn't, I mean, at yeah. the rate it's growing, it seems like eventually it, it doesn't seem like we yeah. can contain it unless we reach, reach like a level of herd immunity where, where yeah. you know, people aren't going to be exposed to it that often. But it seems like it, seems, it just to me, from my instinct, it feels like at some point everyone's going to contract this. And not to yeah, be like, I mean, not, not could, to like put out scary information, you know. And what do I know? I'm not an epidemiologist, but just um, no. But, I, but
1: but I don't think the epidemiologists know. Every epidemiologist mm-hmm. or public health official I talk to has to. I've heard everything from that. It's only going to affect because in China, it, you know, as far as they know, they only affected point zero two or point two. I mean, you know, eighty thousand right. people out of one billion. Is that a is a good tiny point. Tiny number.
0: Right. And
1: so there. Exactly like you. No, just to finish I mean, there's a lot of people who say just like you that it's going to affect 70 to 90 percent of the population, and herd immunity is the only thing that's going to stop it because the vaccine's too far away, and that might be right too. But uh, if that's the case, then it's not such a serious infection for most people because, like you say, there's a hundred times more people than we think who have it. Mm-hmm. So, but we don't know the answer to any of that. How does mm-hmm. it end? It does end, you know. And I think, and I bet you. I don't think the vaccine's going to be the answer because I think it's going to take too long. I bet yeah. you we'll see some some treatments that are proven effective for the critically ill and sick patients yeah. coming out in the next month or two. Yeah. And I bet that will blunt the the curve of the dying and yeah. uh yeah, and then who knows, maybe remember H1N1, it just didn't make people as sick, but it you know, it 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 became part of the herd very quickly within a couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. a huge percentage of the world was infected. So
0: Yeah, I know right now we're doing some uh I guess the next thing is kind of like the IgG, IgM testing um, to test for Mm -hmm. uh, immunity or acute infection.
1: Exposure, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, And uh, so this kind of leads me down like another rabbit hole. And from what you just mentioned with China, only 1% of their population having had... The or was it point one percent or one percent? It was yeah, a very less, small
1: number. Less than point one percent. Yeah, very very yeah.
0: small number, and so that kind of also brings the point of is there why is it, if that's if that if it's that small of a number why isn't there reinfection rates or will there be reinfection rates? Um, yeah, I guess you know could this thing? Ye-
1: yeah, of of co- of course. I mean that's what a lot of people are predicting. <clears throat> these little you know that we we play hopscotch with 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 you know social isolation we get it under control we start coming back it comes back we go you know it might be oh, that wow. we have it could I just saw be devastating well yeah i saw yeah. this model predicting that for the next 18 months we'll be doing you know we'll have a month of social isolation a month not that a month it'll just be on and off and oh
0: my but, god you know
1: you got to do what you got to do like yeah. you know the idea that that the economy and the world will be back open on Easter mm-hmm. is such fantastical, insane thinking. Oh my God, I can't even... Know, can't there's hear. not a scientist in the world that endorses that, right? Yeah,
0: and I, I think people are... I think all the experts are kind of saying this is just absolutely ridiculous. What is... Um, but it's not the first time we've heard ridiculous things from our leaders here, so... <laughs> so we take we take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> So, I guess I'll yeah. bite my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, uh, Dr. Kala, how does this kind of inspire? Like, are you getting ideas now for your next novel? <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, I have a. You know what's frustrating to me, rami Is I had written the most topical novel in the world that's coming out in two months. I'm incredibly oh. proud of it. It's called The Last High. I think it's the best novel I've ever written. It's all about the opioid crisis. I was going to blow the lid through a thriller. But uh-huh. but just w- open up, you know, it's getting great early reviews and, you know, and it was going to be the most topical. Every newspaper in the world was going to want to talk to me about this because, but now nobody even remembers what the opioid <laughs> crisis is. I mean, this is, it is obviously for good reason by what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's going to be something that dev- devastates us, you know, more. When you look at the figures, the opioid death figures from your country alone, yeah. you know, 47,000 people, most of them 40, died in the year 2017 from opioid overdoses, it is staggering. And I, st- I still bet in the first world it'll kill more people than COVID does. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I-, I still stand by this. No, well, it won't get the attention it was going to get. Yeah. But um, I- I- it's such an important, and I work in a hospital that has such a problem with our patients, you know, in, in the community we serve with, uh, with an opioid uh, addiction. And uh, it's just so important. So I'm sticking with this, and you know, and actually, my next book, it's coming out afterwards, is tackling the anti-vax uh, mm-hmm. movement, oh, and yeah. uh, and uh, and that might be more topical yeah. because vaccines <laughs> are going to be very uh, front well, center. But that's not out till 2021.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting. You know, like not to be petty here, but how how the how the anti-vax movement, well, like how are they even going to be able to? What are they going to say after this? You know, like I, know, a good like, point. I think
1: everybody. I, I saw, I saw a great meme where somebody said, uh, "said, dear anti-vaxxers, if you want to imagine a world without vaccines, here it is." <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's, uh, and right. It's uh, it's true, but they will because they, you know, there's something, you know, and I, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of thoughtful, intelligent, compassionate people in the anti vax movement. Um, I personally think their beliefs Just are, lower are wrong. Yeah, well, no, I'm not going to get into that. I think there are some smart people too. I just think yeah. it's a misguided movement. But but science has never been that important to them. You know, it's, there's always been an emotional component, and mm-hmm. so I'm sure there'll there'll be a, something else. You know, and I, I don't I don't I I bet you that it won't sway certain people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess to shift gears a little bit, I'm kind of curious about you know how because you're telling me all these books you're writing, um, and I attempted to write a book like at some point in <laughs> medical school and it, i got like 13 pages in and i was just like i can't do this anymore <laughs> you're, you're uh,
1: 29 it, years old right you're still it, right in residency right yeah i mean yeah. like of course you're not gonna write i didn't write a book till after, after i finished my training and stuff but,
0: was this a passion so, of yours you know early or early yeah. on yeah yeah
1: it's something i always knew i wanted to do and uh you know, and I was lucky enough to have the opportunity, lucky enough to get published, and have a couple bestsellers, and and so uh, now it's it's you know it's just so much a part of me I can't distinguish what my true career is the yeah. writing or the doctoring part. But um, there's time for you, man, lots and <laughs> lots of time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess uh, so. You're at 13. How many books have you written so far?
1: Well, the the one coming out will be my 11th, and 11th I've actually book. finished. The one after the that, that will come out next year. So Awesome.
0: Well, Dr. Kahl, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I think um, you know, this will make for an interesting uh, listen for a lot of our listeners, at least for uh, in terms of curiosity and um maybe checking out your books in the future. Um if you would uh if you'd recommend and I, I wanna give you a chance to kind of like talk a little bit about your book and promote it, um, but uh what which book would you love for our listeners to really pick up at this time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rami. And it's, it really is a pleasure. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I, as I said, I think, you know, the book that is out um, that, that that came out last year, we all fall down and has a lot of parallels to what we're seeing now. And, and you know, I'm proud of that. But but the book that will come out in two months, The Last High, as I said, is, is probably the most personal uh most important novel i've ever written and so if uh, if any of your uh, listeners get a chance to check that book out um I, i'd love to and i'd love to hear from them i'm um, you know i'm through my website and stuff you can always hear i do virtual book clubs sometimes so um it it'd be uh, it'd be great to get feedback on you know from my colleagues in particular it means a lot to me when, when i write books And doctors and you know nurses and people in healthcare read them um that's especially important that i get the details right because even though it's fiction and i'm trying to entertain i really am trying to convey messages in my writing um that i I think are important so thank you for asking
0: yeah definitely where can people find you or connect with you
1: yeah probably the easiest is through my website at danielcala.com um you know or or facebook but uh then they can find connections and where they can get the, you know, the the books at least certainly the eBooks are widely available and some of the printed books are, are pretty widely. Well, the newer ones are, are available as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, appreciate all your work, stay safe out there and, uh, um, you know, keep do keep fighting the good fight.
1: Yeah, you too. And to all your listeners, um, we're all in this together. So yeah, thank you
0: guys for what you do. Thank you so much. Once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. We're going to continue to try and put out episodes related to COVID-19 coronavirus from doctors, experts, epidemiologists, whoever we can get on the podcast that can add valuable information. Things are changing almost daily related to COVID-19, and uh, the information may only be up to date for when the episode is released, so keep that in mind when you are listening. All this information is changing at a very fast, constant rate, so we'll try to you know put these episodes out in a very timely manner, and hopefully... It'll help with learning more about this virus, more more about how we are dealing with it, and how we can cope with it. So stay tuned. Um, As I mentioned before, we still have a season of episodes coming out that are on hold for now, and we will keep you guys updated as to when that will be coming out. For now, if you could please share the episode, post it on your story on social media, tag us at Beyond Med or at my personal Instagram at drrami.do thank you guys so much we appreciate you and we'll try to bring you more content stay safe out there